Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. Alison Verhalen always wanted to write and act, but was told as a child that neither of those were possible careers. Nonetheless, she never gave up. She majored in English and psychology and minored in theater, which gave her the perfect background for content marketing, a field she stumbled into starting as a part-time blogger. And she still writes fiction. In our conversation this week, she explains just what content marketing and search engine optimization are, how story works both in fiction and in content marketing, and how theater prepared her to branch into public speaking. She also shares her favorite piece of advice. Here's my conversation with Allison Verhalen. Allison, welcome to Follow Your Curiosity. Thank you so much for having me. So I am, as always, curious to hear about how you got started on your creative journey, whether that means that you started out doing things as a kid or found something later on. What did that look like for you? Yeah, I've always uh, been a writer. So literally as far back as I can remember, I think as soon as I learned my alphabet, I was writing stories down and, and making them up. And that never really stopped. I just kept doing that until, you know, and I was, I was told growing up, that that's not a career, that's a hobby, but I just couldn't stay away from the English language. So I, I studied English in college and ended up uh, stumbling into writing as a career um, as, as an adult after college. So yeah, much to my surprise, <laughs> I am writing for a career. So as a kid, when people said that's not a career, was that enough to stop you at all? Or you just barreled through anyway? Yeah, kind of a little bit of both. I did kind of try to course correct and be like, well, maybe if I can't make a job right or make a living writing books, I can make a living making books. So I, I did, again, was still working in writing, always knew that I wanted to write, even if it was just on the side as a hobby. Um, but yeah, I graduated in 2009 looking for a career in, in publishing and there were no jobs to be had in publishing or really anywhere else. else. So yeah, so you know, I was a receptionist, I was in customer service, they were jobs, they were not careers, found myself between jobs at one point. And my roommate at the time, her dad, who was an attorney was awesome and offered to give me stuff to do around his office until I got back on my feet. And one of the things he needed was someone to write blog posts for his law firm. And he knew I had a strong writing background. So he offered me the gig. I was more than happy to get paid to write. So I jumped at that chance uh, and never really looked back. Blogging for a law firm is not something that I would think you could just jump into without a legal background. What did that look like? Research, definitely a lot of research. They had a pretty strong blog already but he was writing them himself. So they, they sounded like a lawyer and he was trying to write these for people who are not lawyers. So um, I think in that sense, actually not having a law degree helped me um, because I could you know, learn the basics. I could do the research and, and figure out what I needed to know to convey, you know, here's what you need to know. This is why it's important. But I could convey that in a sense that the, the average person would understand, a non-lawyer would understand. Yeah, that's definitely one of those cases where I think the more you know about something, the harder it is to make it accessible because you get hung Absolutely. up in the, in the nitty gritty details that Joe Average does not need to know or understand because you've been trained to get hung up in those details. 
Yeah. And you use all those Latin words that no one else <laughs> understands. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. So how long did you do that? I'm still doing it, actually. Um, my first client uh, that I had, he has since retired, but he shortly after I started writing for him, he uh, recommended that I uh, he referred me to one of his his associates and I still write for him every month. Um, so that that ended up being my career is is blogging. And then that kind of, again, through curiosity, blossomed into all kinds of content marketing. Now it's like anything that you need written to market your business, I can help you with. Um, and then that led into SEO. And now I'm an SEO strategist as well, just because you can't really do blogging and not do the SEO. Um, so yeah, that's been a really fascinating part of my journey, actually. I think if you had told me when I started out that I needed to learn SEO, because I've never been a numbers person, and SEO is all about the numbers. So I would have been too intimidated to even try. But as, once I was in it, I couldn't go back. And I just ended up learning SEO kind of on the fly. Um, and actually found it really fascinating and have actually really enjoyed that part of my job, much to my surprise, to the point that now I think going forward, I'm going to focus more on that than on the writing. Can you give us a, a quick explanation of what SEO is for those who may not know? Yeah, sorry. Speaking of using the jargon, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, SEO stands for search engine optimization. So when someone needs something or is trying to get some information, they're going to go, we say Google when we say SEO, we really mean Google, even though there are other search engines out there. But for the most part, we mean, you know, playing with Google's algorithm. Um, so that when people Google something, they, they can find you. So I'll be perfectly honest with you. When I hear words like search engine optimization, my brain glazes over. And that makes me terribly curious to know what it is that makes it fun for you. It's getting the data because Google knows what people are looking for. It knows where people are when they're looking for something. So that helps me understand what my my target audience is looking for. It also helps me understand who my target audience is. Um, so I love diving into the data from the perspective of if I write about this, is there a market for it? Do people care about this? And I'm often surprised when I try to do some keyword research and end up finding, oh, this over here is actually a really good keyword. People are actually looking for this. I can write a whole blog post about that. No problem. Let's go. Wow. So when you go looking for a keyword, what does that look like? Um, so I usually start with my products or services, um, and then I go to one of my favorite tools. It's called answerthepublic.com. It's a software. They have a free version and a paid version, um, and the free version gets you three searches, but that information is all the information that you get with the paid version. Um, so I put in a term like blogging or SEO strategy or whatever it may be, um, and it generates all of the questions, the most commonly asked questions from all over the internet um, that use that keyword or that search term. So that is a really great starting point. Not all of them are great search terms as far as not all of them get a whole lot of searches or some of them do get a lot of searches, but they're really competitive. There's too much content out there using that term. So you don't really have a chance of, of showing up for that term. Um, but it's a, it's a great way to get an idea of what people are looking for, what kinds of questions they're asking 
around that that topic. So then I just take that information. And once I find something I can write about, I take that over to my keyword and go, okay, is this a good keyword? Can I actually use this? And then the keyword research is the whole process of, again, looking for something that has a decent search volume, but is not super competitive. Um, And when it's not competitive, that means there's not a ton of content out there that already uses that keyword. Because if there is a ton of content, that makes it much harder for you to actually show up for that keyword. Um, So that's what I look at when I'm actually doing the research. And then the keyword research tool also gives you a whole list of keywords that are related. So if the keyword you search at first is not a good keyword, maybe you can look through that related keyword section and find something that is still related and is also a a better keyword as far as a better search volume and or better competition score. Wow. (laughs) I am, as you're talking, I am imagining having a topic that I really, really, really want to write about going through all of that and finding out that no, this is there's too much already. And then being flummoxed at what to do with that idea. Has that happened to you? And and what do you what have you done when it has? If if Yeah, sometimes you just have to let an idea go, even if you love it and want to write about it. Um, But there's just there's just not a market for it, or there's too much out there. If there's too much competition out there, it's usually because it's a short tail keyword, meaning it's like one or two words long. Um, If you get a little more specific, if you start adding words in there and make it a longer tail keyword, you can usually find a good keyword in there um, that is uh, still has a, a decent search volume, but is not quite as competitive. Um, so that's usually when I'll start adding stuff or, or, you know, subtracting words to try and find that, that perfect mix. But when you go over to answer the public and you put in like one or two words as a topic and ask it, you know, what are the questions? It gives you a ton of questions, like literally, and depending on the topic, it can be hundreds of questions that are being asked with that search term. So I mean, that alone is is really, I, I feel like I'm never at a loss for something to write about around that topic. That's fascinating, especially that there exists a site like Answer the Public, which I only just learned about a couple months ago myself. And I was like, wow, you know. I, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, who thinks to bring all of these things together? And thank you for bringing all of these things together. But I know, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, me neither. So you started out doing blogging, and now Mm -hmm. blogging is part of what's called content marketing, which Mm -hmm. is another term that I think probably makes a lot of people's brains glaze over. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not just blogging, it's it's lots of other stuff. Could you explain to us just what that is and how it how it works? Yeah, so content marketing is defined as really any content you're creating with the intention of marketing your business. So again, that is blog posts, it's your website landing pages, it's your social media. Um, I personally only do the written content, but you also have videos and podcasts and infographics and images. Those are all under the umbrella of content marketing as well. So yeah, I really had to to branch out as far as like, well, I, I can do a lot more than just blogs. I can do all this other stuff too. So how long did it take you to adjust to all of that? Or was it that you got in so organically starting from blogging that you just added things or did you have to really go out and hunt it all up and figure it all out? A little bit of 
Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, there has been, I think, because for a while I was billing myself as a uh, freelance writer before I billed myself as a content marketer, before I even knew that was a term or what that meant. Um, so when I when I said writer, I got people asking, well, can you do this and can you do this? And I was like, yeah, as long as you need something written, I, I can write it. So then it just kind of flowed naturally, especially with all the content that we create for the online space. Now I'm writing people's, you know, LinkedIn articles and their newsletters and, and stuff that is, is pretty far. It's not that far removed from blogging, but it's certainly not what I envisioned writing when I started out. Yeah. When you were a kid, I don't think you thought, oh, hey, I'm going to write newsletters when I grow up. And yeah, not even know what a newsletter was. (laughs) And yet you obviously enjoy it. Is there something about, you know, writing for other people that, you know, is especially fun for you? Yeah, well, I do. Again, I love writing. I've been writing my whole life. So I love that I get to make a living out of this. I love learning new kinds of things because I do have a niche where I I do serve primarily attorneys and financial planners, but I've also written for coaches and health and wellness professionals and assisted living communities, and it really runs the gamut. So I get to learn about all kinds of different things. Like I now know way more about employment law than I ever thought I would. (laughs) I can imagine because the amount of research that you had to do to get past all of those Latin words would definitely mm-hmm. be there. It's, I don't know, I can't imagine if you were enjoying the writing, you probably weren't thinking, gee, maybe I should just go to law school. But at the same time, you know enough that it must be an interesting kind of crossover with that. It is, definitely. Do people ask you legal questions even though you're not a lawyer? <laughs> No, but I do tend to volunteer <laughs> legal information, <laughs> even though I'm not a lawyer. I'm that annoying person going, well, actually. <laughs> well, but hey, if you're not, you know, threatening to bill them a couple hundred bucks an hour, that probably isn't entirely yeah, I know, right? welcome, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I did get my, my brother asking me a question one time about his girlfriend had an issue at work. And they were like, if they're threatening to sue, can they actually sue for that? And I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> Good to know very handy. So how did you make the the move from doing this for, you know, in smaller circumstances for this law firm and that law firm into, I'm going to just go out on my own, call it my own business. And then, you know, I mean, now you do speaking gigs and you do all sorts of things along with it. How, how did all of that go for you? Um, it's like anything else. It's a roller coaster. There are, there are ups and downs. Um, I did, like I said, I started doing this when I was between jobs, um, did eventually get another day job, but kept writing on the side. I kept writing for my roommate's dad, for his associate. Then I started writing for some friends of mine and it just kept growing to the point where I couldn't do both anymore. I didn't have enough hours in the day to do my day job and all the writing. So I decided about seven years ago, it was time to quit the day job and and take the writing full time and see where this took me. And then once I was writing full time, then it was like, oh, now I'm business owner. Now I have to like do networking and market my business and do my own content marketing, which took me an embarrassingly long time to actually do that part. (laughs) And then the public speaking kind of kind of flowed from that, um, just as, again, as a way to market my business. 
Is it harder to do the content marketing for yourself than it is to do it for other people or is it easier or is it really not much different? Um, yes and no. I mean, I really enjoy content marketing. So I do love writing my own blog posts. Um, so I, I enjoy that part of it. I don't think that part of it is harder. I do think trying to think of what, trying to identify your own target audience and what interests them and, and, um, the kinds of stories they're going to engage with. I think that can be harder when you're trying to do it for yourself rather than for someone else. Um, I think the attorneys are a great example. You know, they're too close to something and they might think one aspect of the law is really exciting and interesting. And I'm like, no, that's not what the average person cares about. The average person cares about, you know, losing their house or getting sued or not being able to sue for such and such. So um, yeah, it's kind of a yes and no <laughs> answer to that question. Yeah, I can imagine. Are are there things that you see now that you've been doing this for so long that most people who try to do their own content marketing are cluelessly just like, you know, aiming for the bullseye and landing off in the bushes somewhere? I have to think that there must be. Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the big uh mistakes that I see people making is not having that bullseye. They don't really identify their target audience or even the goal that they want. Um, so I refer to it as shooting in the dark and just hoping they hit something um, or like shooting blindfolded, right? And and being like, I can still hit the target. It's like, you, you don't even know what the target is. You haven't defined it. Um, so that's definitely a problem. Not having a call to action is another big problem that I see. I think a lot of people are told that they need to be blogging and they, they don't really know what that means or how it works into their sales funnel or how to lead a prospect through the sales funnel so that they continue consuming your content and eventually hire you after reading a blog post. So those are some, some big mistakes that I see people making. Even if they're good writers, even if they know their business inside and out, that doesn't necessarily mean they know how to market their business. Yeah. I think that that is, is a, a belief that a lot of people hold, you know, I know what I'm talking about, but that's not the same thing. Yeah. And a lot of people can talk about their stuff all day. And then when it comes to writing, they're just staring at that blinking cursor with a blank mind, right? No idea what to write. Yeah. So if, if somebody's in that situation, is that where you would suggest you know, answer the public or going out and looking for keywords and figuring it out that way? Absolutely. Yeah. And my other favorite tip is to um, check out the competition, see what they're writing about, because if they're writing about something, I mean, never, ever copy their content, but you can get inspiration from what they're covering, because if they're covering a certain topic, chances are pretty good. There's a reason for it. So that's, that's my other favorite tip for getting out of that writer's block. How does that intersect with the, there's too much information out there already? How do you know, you know, oh, this person's just blogged about widgets, but when I go out and look, it looks like everybody's blogged about widgets. Yeah, that's where you have to get really specific. Again, you have to know your target audience um, and you have to, to get that keyword research and get as specific as possible until you find something that, again, has a decent search volume. So there are people searching for it but it does not have a whole lot of um, information already out there on it. Um, and I actually just saw a report not too long ago that Google said there are 
I can't remember, like a crazy number of new searches every year, like keywords they have never seen before that people are inventing because there's new things popping up all the time. So people want to look up information on them. So I, as crazy as it sounds, I don't think there will ever be too much information. Um, I think the, you know, the world of SEO is a great example. It's something that keeps changing. So if you're targeting the the keyword SEO, yeah, you're going to get drowned out because there's a ton of content out there with the word SEO in there. But if you're looking for information on Google's latest core algorithm update, and I know there might be some listeners whose eyes are glazing over at that too. Um, but people like me are looking for that information. So we're going to go out and look for it. And there is going to be a, a much smaller pool of information of content with that information. That's fascinating. I would not have guessed that there would be, you know, a certain number, whatever that number is from year to year of new searches every year, which now that I'm thinking about it, it makes sense. The internet is not a stagnant thing. You know, it's not a shelf of books in the library and this is the only stuff that you ever get to look at. But it just never really occurred to me before that that, that would be the case, that there's that much new stuff every year. Yeah, I mean, if you think about, I mean, even just the inventions we get every year, we have things now like cryptocurrency and NFTs that did not exist and therefore those search terms did not exist and now they exist and people are searching for them and looking for information on them so that's yeah that's one example yeah so it sounds like figuring out the the seo part if you want to write something that people are going to see is a lot like detective work does that sound right to you yeah yeah that does sound right and I know you said you also majored in psychology and that that combination has been helpful is how does the psych part fit into the whole thing? Yeah, well, you have to know what motivates people to buy what's going to get them through to, you know, to the next step in the buyer journey and the next step after that. Um, and under, understand that people are motivated by things that will help them survive and even thrive in this world. So if you can communicate that in your content, uh, then that's going to be your your content is going to be much more effective um, than just telling people I have this thing, you should buy this thing, <laughs> and tell them why they need to buy this thing. Yeah, I think that's a, a place where a lot of people fall down too, because it's kind of like being the lawyer who knows too much, you know, why your thing is great. Mm -hmm. That's not the same as being able to explain to somebody else why your thing is great. Yeah. In terms they can understand. Yeah. Yeah. You may not be using the Latin words, but it may not be that different if you're not speaking the right language. Right. Exactly. It's fascinating to me how all of this stuff comes together. I mean, I did not come from any background in sales whatsoever. And the more I learn about little pieces of things, it's like, oh, huh, look at that. This word makes a difference where this one eh, doesn't really. Yeah. Is, is mind blowing to me how much of a difference the right word or, or phrase can make. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think we all think that, you know, I don't want to look at ads and I'm, I can't be persuaded by sales stuff. And every single thing I've ever read says, oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's fascinating and a little bit terrifying. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like how much free will do we really have? Right? Yeah. 
do I really want to buy this thing or has the this, you know, paragraph just made me think that I do. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to get back to the speaking engagements. How how did you start to get interested in doing that and how hard was it to make that leap? Did you deal with a lot of things like stage fright or anything like that or has that come pretty naturally for you? Uh, actually, in addition to my two majors, I minored in theater. So oh. I took some acting classes. <laughs> yeah, so I, I already had a little bit of practice of uh, public speaking. Um, and then the more I did networking to try to grow my business, um, you know, I saw people at these networking events who were getting up in the front of the room and, and talking about what they knew and, and demonstrating their expertise and, and how beneficial that was for their businesses. And I was like, I want to do that for my business because I can get up and talk about blogging and SEO all day. So I started, uh, yeah, with my, my networking groups, uh, you know, small groups of, of women that I, I was talking to. And it hasn't been, I've just been getting more comfortable doing that. Um, and then it was last year that I, I decided I really want to focus on public speaking as a way to grow my business. Um, and that's when I started really intentionally, you know, looking for more opportunities, looking for bigger opportunities and looking to come on podcasts like this one. Has the pandemic helped or hindered that effort, do you think? Or is it kind of immaterial with all of the virtual things that we have now? Yeah, it's just that everything is virtual now. Um, so in a sense, I think it, it has helped because I have done some virtual stuff that I think otherwise would have been in person that maybe I could not physically have gotten to or it just would have been a pain in the butt for me to get all the way out there and back. Um, I kind of love all the virtual stuff, to be honest. I love that I can do this in my living room. And then, you know, there's there's no commute time. I don't have to go out. Speaking of, we were just talking about the snowstorm that I just had, right? I don't have to try and go out and drive in this uh, slushy weather with the slick roads. I can stay here safe and warm and and do my thing. There's definitely a huge advantage to no commute time. But at the same time, if you are in front of a live audience, that can be kind of invigorating for a lot of people. There's more of a give and take and you can take questions. I mean, you can take questions online, but you can't see your whole crowd as easily or gauge their reactions. Do you have a preference for one over the other? Yeah, well, I do agree with what you're saying about the fact that there is an energy to being physically in the room with people that's just not there on Zoom as much as we love Zoom. Um, I think there are also, uh, it, sometimes it can also be easier to convert prospects in person just because you do have that opportunity to network in person. You can ask for their information in the chat on Zoom and they may or may not give it, but if you're in person and they like what you're saying and you just ask for their business card, now you've got their contact information. You can reach out to them and follow up whenever. Um, that can be, I mean, depending on how the, the Zoom meeting is set up, that can be a little harder to do sometimes. Yeah. Well, how much of your theater background goes into your your speaking engagements? Do you really make a conscious effort to include elements of it or is it mostly just the public, you know, the actual standing in front of people and speaking? I think it's mostly just the actual standing in front of people and speaking. I think there was that was the other <laughs> my other passion of mine that I was told was a hobby and not a career was for a while, I was like, well, if I can't be a novelist, I'll be an actress. And my parents were like, yeah, no. <laughs> but I, I did still take a bunch of theater classes in college uh, enough to get that minor. And I, I really enjoyed them. So 
knowing how to speak in front of a crowd, um, knowing how to communicate with the audience and have that back and forth, which again, that is a little different over Zoom versus in person. Um, but yeah, so I kind of is the answer. There is a whole lot that you use in theater um, that you don't use in public speaking. I mean, basically when you're public speaking, you're you're doing a, a soliloquy and that's about it. <laughs> there is no back and forth with other actors. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you went ahead and minored in theater anyway. Did they give you a hard time about that or was it just like, well, it's just a minor, it's no big deal? Yeah, I think it was more like, well, it's a minor, or um, even if I did pursue it, I think they were like, well, I guess she'll pursue it for a while and, and be broke and then get a real job. <laughs> well, it sounds like it served you well. And I, I feel like, you know, it's so easy to say to a kid, nah, you can't do that for a career and just steer them so far away from the things that they love that they, you know, end up with stuff that is a terrible match whereas mm -hmm. if you let them go and at least minor in theater at the very least they get to have the experience of it you never know what they'll learn from it that they'll take into something else or who they'll meet through it that they'll take into mm -hmm. something else and so i'm kudos to you for doing the theater thing anyway do you do any kind of community theater or has that just not been something that you've wanted to do after college yeah i i have not Really, I did audition for a few things um, shortly after college when I was, you know, working that receptionist job that I hated. <laughs> I was looking for something else to do. Um, but once I got into writing as a career, that really took up all of my time um, and all of my passion. I, I mean, part of me still misses acting, but I really feel like writing is my first love. So this is really where I'm meant to be. Then it all works out beautifully. Yeah. So getting back to writing, you also still write fiction. And I was looking on your blog, you have quite a lengthy series of, of fiction posts on there. And I'm just curious to know, you know, you obviously didn't give up, even though you found another kind of writing. Do you find that they complement each other at all? Does the content marketing make the fiction writing easier or vice versa? Or do they influence each other at all? I don't know how much um, the content marketing influences the, the fiction writing, aside from the fact that I have given myself a schedule where I, I do want to publish a new short story and a new book review on that website. Um, it's my fun website. Um, so I don't have to stick to a schedule. I'm not really trying to go anywhere with it. It's really just for me. Um, but by having that schedule, it, it forces me to make time every week to write a short story and to spend some time with my fiction, um, which really just feeds my soul. That's really what I love. Um, and then the book reviews help me think critically about what I'm reading, which is usually fiction. There's some nonfiction in there as well. Um, but usually I, I read a lot of fiction. So I do think all of that does inform um, the content marketing as far as the critical thinking for one is is a big one but also having a good story in your content is super powerful for engaging people when they find your content and converting them to that next step you've got to be able to tell a story that they can relate to that demonstrates yes you do need this product or service here's why um and that's what helps people remember what's really important um you know you can talk about facts and statistics 
all day long and, and people might, you know, say, okay, I'll remember that. And then they don't, it goes in one ear and out the other. But if you can tell a story that, that demonstrates what it is you're talking about, it's much more likely to stick in their minds and have a much more powerful effect. So yeah, I definitely think that the fiction influenced my content marketing. I have heard people from, you know, nonprofits to politics to everything in between talk about using storytelling to get your message across. And Lord knows plenty of people also talk about how human beings are just wired for story. Mm -hmm. And so that all totally makes sense to me. I'm curious to know, where do you see the parallels? I mean, in a way, this kind of seems obvious to me, but yet at the same time, it doesn't, between how you write a fiction story and how you write a story for content marketing? Well, they all need a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? Um, and in some cases, the end can be a cliffhanger. I, I've done that with some of my short stories where I end on something that um, is not really an ending. And you can do that with your blogs. Um, and that can be super effective if you want them to take, again, take that next step. Um, that's the biggest difference, I think, between content marketing and, and my fiction is, like I said, content marketing needs a goal. You need them to do something when they're done reading the content. Um, and that's really not the case for my fiction. I don't I don't care what they do after that. I, I just put it up there for my own sake, my own fun. Um, yeah, so there's, and there's a lot more considering the audience, which I have done more with my fiction lately as more people are finding that website. It's like, oh, if I have potential clients looking at this, I maybe don't want to write that murder mystery thriller. <laughs> <laughs> yes, legal firm, I'll write a murder yeah, right. mystery <laughs> You never know that could work, but you'd really have to right? know how to do it right. <laughs> so like when you get into the storytelling elements of the content marketing, how do you how do you find the right balance between what you would do in a fiction story and what will work in content marketing? It always has to be relevant to the target audience and to the information they're looking for. If at any point you're going off in a tangent because it's fun, uh, that's not going to be serving the purposes of your your content. So you, you need to rein it in. Um, and I've done that with my fiction stories all the time where it goes off in a direction I did not think it would go in. Um, I tend not to do a whole lot of outlines especially for my fiction just because I am a, a what we call a pantser. I write by the seat of my pants. Um, for my, my blogs, I'm much more likely to outline just because I, I know I have certain points that I need to cover and I want to make sure I don't forget anything. So while I'm doing my research, I will come up with a, a bullet point list of things that I need to cover in that. Uh, so that really helps keep me on track. It's it's really about keeping the, the target audience front and center. Um, whereas, like I said, my fiction doesn't really have a target audience. It's just what I feel like writing. Do you find it a challenge to make the the combination of storytelling and the content marketing aspects, you know, the fact that you want them to do something and whatever, to make that all flow in a way that feels natural and not like, I'm throwing a story in here, but I also need you to get this part. 
Not really, because the story should always feed into what it is you need them to do. It should always lead to that happily ever after, which is them buying your product or service and loving it and seeing the benefits from it. Um, so yeah, when I start writing a story for a cop, for, you know, a, a blog post or something, it, it always has that end goal in mind. And then it's just writing my way to that end goal. Gotcha. That makes sense. So as far as the fiction goes, are you aiming at some point to publish a short story collection or a novel or anything like that? Do you have any kind of, ah, I see that look. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, I am working on a novel. Um, I have considered putting my, because I do have so many stories. Like you said, I could easily put them together into a short story collection and sell that. Um, have not been super motivated to do that, to be honest. That seems like more work um, and not really anything that I care enough to put into the work. Um, I, I do have a novel that I, I've started work. I've written a couple novels, to be honest. I've written two that I don't think will ever see the light of day. I'm currently working on the third one that I am aiming to publish sometime in 2022. We'll see. So no promises though, because that is just a fun project. That's not something that is I'm I'm super focused on right now. I think that's fair, especially when you're writing by the seat of your pants. You never know where things are going to go and how long it will take and how much you'll need to fix once you're done. Because on page 20, you wrote one thing and by page 60, you forgot about it and wrote something totally different. So yes, I, I do that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think we all do that a lot. I think unless you're one of those people who really sits down and hammers everything out ahead of time, you're probably going to do that a lot. Yeah. And... I don't know. I always find that going back and, and looking at what I did and what makes sense and what makes way less sense than I thought it did and how to make it all work is part of the fun of it. It's like solving a big puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, we'll I'll be curious to see what happens with this book then. I think if you feel that the other two should never see the light of day, I think most people are usually pretty accurate judges of that. Yeah. <laughs> There are well, always exceptions, but usually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it is frustrating just because I did spend so much time working and I worked so hard on them. Um, but yeah, I listen to a lot of authors talking about their first three to five books usually never saw the light of day and now they're super successful writers. And it's like, yeah, your, your first novel is usually not going to get published. I think, you know, it's all a learning process. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I did an MFA program, but even then a lot of it is still, you know, it's not like somebody hands you, here is everything you need to know about how to write a novel. I mean, a lot of it, you really have to figure out yourself. There's only so much that somebody can explain to you until mm -hmm. you've done the work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think those are all, those are, those are your MFA, you know, yeah. it's, it's, the learning process of saying, I wrote this and I loved writing it at the time, but there's no question that this book is not something that anybody else should ever see. But yeah. good <laughs> grief, I learned an awful lot from it. And now I'm ready to try book two. And even if you say the same thing at the end of book two, you know you're better off than you were at the end of book one. And and yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me that a lot of first and second books go 
live in drawers for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And that's probably where they should be, but they served their purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even looking back at uh, writers who are now famous and after their death, some of their juvenilia gets published and you're like, it's great to read this. And, you know, we love this writer, but yeah, no, there, there's a reason this never got published when they were alive. <laughs> yeah. There, there are so many people that, that we've said that about. It's like, yeah, there's, it served its purpose. Yeah. It did what it needed to do for that person to get them to what we know and love from them. And that's all it needed to do. I think when we assign importance to things beyond what's really reasonable for them, and Lord knows there are people who've written amazing first books, you know, mm -hmm. but if you are so attached to the idea that it has to be, you know, I am writing the great American novel, that's probably the first sign that you're in trouble when you say that. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, when you get that attached to it, you you can so easily lose the perspective and some of what you're learning from it, you may not even notice because you're so convinced that it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a it's an interesting line to to try to to walk to get yourself you know having having fun with it learning something but also having that discretion is the better part of valor piece when it comes to deciding whether or not to show it to anybody else yeah well and that's where distance comes in i i think it takes months if not years before you can look at something and be like yeah no <laughs> this, this belongs in the drawer or yeah. on the hard drive <laughs> yeah and and that part too you know, it, it's it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason that when you finish writing something, you should stick it in a drawer for six to 12 months before you look at it again, because it's the mm -hmm. only way to get any real perspective on it is not to have lived inside it for a while. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if you've gone back and looked at those first novels and and that's what made you decide after a period away to say, no, you're staying exactly there in that little drawer. It was, it was a number of things. Um, it, one of, I have gone back to my very first novel and edited and rewritten it a bunch of times. Um, it just, it honestly, it just doesn't fit with my brand right now. Um, and it was one of those where, I ended up writing about a minority community that I'm not a part of. And the more I learned about how icky that is, the more I'm like, maybe I'm not the person to publish mm. this book. <laughs> so there, there are a variety of factors. I do think there are some good bones in that book. Um, but yeah, it was still a learning experience. It taught me how to, you know, have a book with a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. It taught me that I could write a full-length novel, um, which is a lot harder than it sounds. <laughs> but I did it once, I can do it again. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, that's that's maybe the most important thing to learn from writing a first novel. You know, maybe it's not what you wanted it to be. Maybe it's not ever going to see the light of day. But now you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know what it's like, you know what to expect, and there's no reason that you can't go do it again. And you've lost that argument with yourself that says, oh, I want to do that, but I could never do that. I, it would be terrible. It would, you know, I'd never be able to finish it. I wouldn't be able to stick with it long enough. That's all gone once you finish the first mm -hmm. one, even if it's just a first draft that you don't revise because you're done with it, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there's there's so much merit to that. Yeah, and I learned I learned a lot by taking that and and putting passing it around to my writer friends who then gave me some awesome feedback. So that was great because then I got to learn what my strengths and my weaknesses as a writer are. And now I, I can focus on the strengths and, and try and build up the weaknesses. Yeah, that's feedback is is like if you have people that you can hand something like that to and get really honest, solid feedback from them that's not, you know, biased toward their own preferences and that kind of thing, that is worth its weight in gold. It is. It really is. Did you join a writer's group or was this, you just happened to have writer friends already? I just happened to have writer friends already. We all kind of gravitated towards each other during um, high school and college, um, mostly by taking a lot of English classes and the advanced English classes. So that's, you know, where we tended to hang out. Um, so there was that. And then I did join an online community called Critique Circle which was awesome and also taught me a whole lot about writing and, and why to do certain things and why to avoid other things. So that was a really great experience. Yeah, those things are, are phenomenal if you can find them. Mm -hmm. Even like my you know, couple of my local library branches have writers groups that meet, you know, once a week or once a month or whatever. So if anybody who's listening has never thought about finding a writer's group. It's usually not that hard. And as long as you find the group that's the right match for you, it can be really, really mm -hmm. worthwhile. Yeah. You'll probably know pretty easily if it's not the right fit for you, too. Yeah, pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Nothing that they say will make any sense at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great that you're aiming to publish something this year, whether it happens or not. Maybe it'll happen next year, either way. And it, and I love that, you know, you focus on it for fun. A lot of people who write for a living have a lot of trouble writing for fun. It doesn't mm -hmm. sound like that's really been an issue for you, though. No, it really hasn't. Um, finding the time has been an issue just because writing is very time consuming. Um, but that's also something that I've been working on. Um, there are there are tricks you can use to make the process go more quickly, um, both professionally and and when writing fiction. So um, yeah, just gotta make the time for it. Do you are you willing to share any of those tips with us? Um, definitely knowing what you're gonna write when you sit down to write instead of again sitting down and, and staring at that blinking cursor. <laughs> Um, having some idea of where you're going with the next scene is beneficial. I've also found that it can be really helpful for me to just sit down and write one scene. It doesn't have to be a whole chapter. It can just be one scene. Um, and then I can get back to work or, or do whatever else I need to do. Um, and that, you know, it only takes me like 15, 20 minutes sometimes, depending on how long the scene is. So it's really hard to not justify that to go, oh, I don't have time. It's like everyone has 15 or 20 minutes in their day, right? Absolutely. Even if it's only five, it can be enough to keep you going. Mm -hmm. keep yeah. Your head in it every day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and learn those, those keyboard shortcuts. So you're not constantly, you know, going to the mouse, the, the keyboard shortcuts can be so helpful and just practice. Honestly, the, the more you write, the faster you write. That's very true. I'm wondering if there's, you know, any, great words of wisdom that you have or that were given to you about 
writing in in any context, whether it's the content marketing or the fiction or something that applies to both. Is there anything like that that comes to mind that you'd want to share with us? Yeah, have a deadline, whether it's your blog post, whether it's that novel you're working on, make sure that you have a deadline so that you actually sit down and, and write that content because so many people, especially with their blog, if they don't like writing, they'll go, oh, I'll, I'll get to it when all this other stuff gets done. Well, if you own your own business, the other stuff never gets done. <laughs> There's always something else to do. Um, so have, have a schedule and treat it like any other deadline, like something that needs to get done um, before that deadline, no matter what. So, and I would say the same um, of, of your longer works, of your fiction, if you're writing something even for fun. Um, like I said, having that deadline on my fun website every week makes sure that I make time to write some fiction every week. I, I've got to agree with you wholeheartedly. I think deadlines, credible deadlines, deadlines that I just set for myself are not so credible. But yeah. deadlines where I have to, you know, report to someone, even if it's only the friend that I recruited, mm -hmm. magic happens. That stuff gets mm -hmm. done even when I don't know how it will get done. So mm -hmm. if you're afraid of deadlines, I'd suggest looking at them as your best little, you know, fairy godmother for writing because there is something about a deadline that makes things happen. Yeah, definitely. Very good. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking with me today. I have enjoyed this and I have learned a lot and I'm sure that others have too. And we will get all of your links in the show notes so people can come check out your videos of your speaking engagements and your fiction and everything else. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. That's our show. My thanks to my guest, Alison Verhalen, and to you for listening. You know, I talk to people all the time who are feeling totally lost, overwhelmed, and stuck creatively. And I know there are lots more of you out there who are feeling the same way. So I made something to help. Check out the link in your podcast app for my creative tune-up kit. 37 bucks, super affordable, and it's full of my favorite coaching tools to help you rediscover your creative self and make progress fast. I would love to get it into your hands so that you can get unstuck and create beautiful things this year. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. 